Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. We are in our series on the book of Revelation. Tonight is uh, session 36, and it's entitled The Antichrist and His War. Now, as we're doing a thematic study of the book of Revelation, we're, we're kind of marching through the book. I mean, we're kind of in chapter 6 tonight. I, I, that was kind of a fair assessment of where we're at. But because we're doing thematic, we're looking at what else the, word, uh, what else the book of Revelation has to say about a specific subject matter. <clears throat> and so tonight, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist and his war. And uh, we'll see that developed here in uh, the, uh, f- the first and second seals, which is what we're looking at. We've been uh, doing a, an overview in the past few weeks of the seals, trumpets, and bowls, and then last week the seals, and now we're actually getting into the seals. And uh, for the first time, actually starting to talk about some of the meat of what it is that we're, uh, we've been uh, alluding to. And so uh, what I want to do tonight is uh, give us a, a connection between these first two seals. So tonight the whole message is just on seal one and seal two, Okay. The first two seals, now remember, seven seals, then followed by seven trumpets, and then followed by seven bulls of wrath. These 21 events are occurring during the period of the Great Tribulation. The first and second seal, it's about the war. It's about the the Antichrist's war that he's going to launch. That's uh, not a a totally foreign idea to most of you. I'm sure you've, you've had some thought process about, yeah, and Antichrist, there's war involved. Uh, these first two seals set the tone for how the rest of the Great Tribulation feels on planet Earth. It feels like war. That's what it feels like. <clears throat> the, uh, these first two seals, as we look at them, we start to see, wow, these are some massive judgments, but they're not judgments in the form of stuff coming out of the sky or you know, water turning into blood or something like that. These are judgments that are going to have the, a significant toll on the nerves on society, on, uh, on relations, on a, a worship system. I mean, there's going to be lots and lots of people that are going to find themselves worshiping Satan during this hour that had never thought of that before in their life. This is going to be a massive world-changing reality, the first and second seal. So I want to identify the riders on the first horse and the second horse, okay? Revelation 6, 1 through 4. This is our focus passage here tonight. I watched as the Lamb, and I just want us to remember... It is Jesus opening the seals. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures saying aloud, or in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And these two are riding together, if you will. I mean, not exactly. There's a little bit of time in between. There's you know, some uh, measure of they don't, they don't actually ride out together, but they are definitely in league for the same purpose. The first guy rides out as a conqueror bent on conquest. The second guy is given a large sword, and he is given power to do something that has never happened before, ever, in the history of the world. 
peace taken from the planet. Not from a city, a country, a region, a continent. The planet. Final war is promised. This is not something that uh, is um, unknown to us. I just want to read you a couple of verses here. Daniel 7 and then another passage in Revelation. Bottom of page uh, 1. The beast will have a kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Doesn't that just sound like what we just read out of Revelation, the seals, uh, first and second seal? Revelation 13, if you don't know Revelation 13, that's kind of like the big New Testament Antichrist passage. There are other passages, but this is the one that gives us the most detail, Revelation 13, okay? Revelation 13 describes both the Antichrist and the false prophet. It says it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Same language that we were just reading in the first and second seals. The first and second seals, it's the Antichrist and the false prophet being released in the earth. They are, uh, they are very much in common purpose and goal together. One, he is a conqueror bent on conquest, but he's carrying a bow and no arrows. I don't know if you noticed that. The second, the false prophet who follows him, the false prophet is actually the one that's empowered to do the, wars, the war machine. The false prophet is the Antichrist's number one guy, and he does everything on behalf of the Antichrist. So it's like the Antichrist is doing it, but he's doing it through a, uh, a, a vessel. He's doing it through the, the false prophet, okay? And so we see these two working together, their purposes, their objective, what they're accomplishing, how they're acting. The prophetic scriptures from Daniel, from Isaiah, from Ezekiel are being fulfilled in these two men. And what their objective is, is to take peace from the earth and to cause the earth to worship the Antichrist. And not everyone is going to think that is a great idea. Thus, war. There will be lots of war, and that war will actually be the retaliation of mostly uh, uh, godless people. We're not talking about the war is mostly like a Christian coalition. That is not mostly what the war is. Mostly, the war is nations, normal nations on the planet right now going, no, we don't really want you to take us over right now. Actually, that's not really our favorite idea. Uh, we don't really want you to do that. Yeah, you're going to let me do that. I, I need to get in every area of your government. You're going to worship me as God. I'm going to set up this Mark of the Beast system. You, you're going to do this. No, no, bro, we're really not going to do this. And they will resist, and they will fight, and they will lose. And the Antichrist will, in fact, uh, cause global dominance. It doesn't mean every area, every person, every region, but it does mean every nation will have significant subjugation to the Antichrist system. And the way that it gets there is war. Okay. All right. Top of page uh, two. Crafty rise of the Antichrist. I just want to give you this here, part D. This is another verse out of Daniel. Just trying to paint the picture of who this guy is. The Antichrist. What is he doing? How does he do it? <clears throat> Daniel eleven twenty one. A contemptible person. I mean, what interesting language in the Bible describing a person for God so loved the world except this guy 
he's a contemptible person. I mean, this is, this is intense. He's a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure. That's describing the three and a half year peace treaty. Remember I told you the first three and a half years of the tribulation, it's peace and safety. They're going to feel secure and he's going to invade while they do. And he will seize it through intrigue. What an interesting way to seize a country, to seize assets. Intrigue. An overwhelming army will be swept away before him. He will act deceitfully, and with only a few people, he will rise to power. This man, this Antichrist, is going to be crafty, deceitful. He is going to be demonically anointed. And he is going to operate behind the scenes. Intrigue. It's going to be intriguing. People are going to look at the Antichrist and they go, how did he do that? How, how did he accomplish all of that in a week? Like, whoa. He will accomplish great feats through intrigue. You know, I just want to be faithful to the scripture. We have some ideas about the Antichrist that are fabricated. And there's a lot of details in the word about who he is and what he's going to do and how he's going to operate that we can actually know ahead of time we're even supposed to know ahead of time. All right, the Antichrist comes in white. Notice the first one, the first uh, horse here, Revelation 6, 1 through 2. Lamb opens the first seal. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. He's wearing a false righteousness. He's the one picking white. Okay? Jesus is the one opening seal one. This is not Jesus. This is one wearing white. This is deception. He is a contemptible person who will operate in deception. The problem with deception is you look at it and at a, and at a face value to a certain degree, it looks totally legit and good and fine and like praiseworthy. The problem is it's deceitful. It's a lie. But this is Jesus. Remember, let's remember we're calling this guy the Antichrist. Okay? So... Remember how many times Jesus taught about wolves in sheep's clothing. White. White wool. Okay? Top of page three. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Second uh, Corinthians 11, Paul says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Okay, this Antichrist is coming and he will he is he is coming and he is cunning. He is coming as a world leader that will be well received and well liked. His policies will be praised. There will be many that have grown up in the church that will be voting for him because they will see what he stands for, what he does, apparently what he stands for and what he does. He will come in sheep's clothing, but he is a wolf. And yet you know him by the fruit. That's always the way that Jesus identified how you know whether somebody's false or true. You actually can't even really identify whether a person's false or true based only on what they say and their prophecies. You base it off their character. Because a godly person can make mistakes. But a godly person smells godly. And you look at their life, you're like, no, you're legit. I don't know what happened yesterday. Tuesday was a weird day for you, but you're legit. Like you love God. I know by your fruit, by the fruit in your life, okay? This man's fruit, however, will be horrid, all right? And it will be identifiable for anybody who's looking for it, okay? 
Jesus' warnings. This is, this is the trap. This man is the trap. I mean, Jesus talked about, don't let that day, talking about the coming of the Antichrist, don't let that day close on you unexpectedly like a trap. This is uh, uh, the middle of page, top, top middle of page 3, Luke 21, 34. Be careful in that day, or your hearts are going to be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Life is going to be so stinking difficult, you're going to get thrown. You're going to be messed up. You're going to have a, a serious problem if you're not paying attention, if you are not careful. That day will close on you. Jesus is talking to his guys. That day, I just imagine him pointing at Peter. That day will close on you like a trap if you're not careful. This is really intense. All right, part three. The Antichrist comes riding on a horse. Part of the, the picture here is the speed and the strength. Specifically, even a white horse, Alexander the Great, Attila the Hun, and other great generals of the Roman army in, in times past, and others beside, they rode in on white horses. They rode in on white horses as a picture of their strength, of their might, uh, as, a, as a, a picture of the purity of their cause. You know, this white horse. This is kind of a normal thing in history. So yes, of course, the Antichrist will do this. But that horse is also speaking of his agility, the quickness, the, the maneuverability that he's going to operate in and his instant rise to power. It will be a very intriguing rise to power because he will not be the person that the whole planet, no, no one, two things. No one is going to be thinking, I bet you that guy's got a promising career in, po in politics. He's eventually going to become king of the planet. No one will be thinking about this man that way. But in a moment's notice, he will rise from some version of in government at some level, maybe he's a senator of some nation. Maybe he's a, an advisor, a, a cabinet member. He's some level of involvement because he's the one that orchestrates the seven-year peace treaty with Israel. You can't do that, you know, from your cabin in South Texas. Okay, you got to be somewhere in government to be able to do that. But he's not like the main leader or even one of the main leaders. And then all of a sudden he's going to rise to power as the, the Antichrist overnight with intrigue. He holds a bow, but it's, it's arrowless. He's not holding a bow and arrow. I mean, typically, whenever we see the terminology of holding a bow, arrow accompanies it. He's not, because significant part of his intrigue is bloodless victory. Let me give you a terrifying and recent historical example. Adolf Hitler was able to gain much territory Without war, just the threat of it. Austria and Czechoslovakia bowed to Adolf Hitler's war machine because he said, if you do not join me, we will come in and eradicate you. Without even having to declare war, without even bringing an army in and firing a shot, he was able to annex nations into his cause. Bloodless victory. He was able to just, through intrigue, through, through crafty, behind the scenes, there were a lot of things happening in his regime that didn't even come out until after the war was over. Things that only his top generals knew were happening behind the scenes where he was navigating and positioning things. I mean, we don't like to talk about Adolf Hitler having any positive characteristics, but the man was a brilliant war strategist. He was brilliant. It's terrifying. I promise you the Antichrist will not be taking lessons from Adolf Hitler. He, he'll be the guy writing the book. He will be a brilliant strategist. 
And he will know how to accomplish bloodless victory. Just the threat of war. A bow with no arrow. I mean, if a guy comes riding in and he's looking all like angry-faced and he's carrying a bow and he kind of points it at you, you get the point. It's like, enough said. Got it. I know what you're trying to communicate to me. All right, keep going. Uh, top of page five, just a little bit more on, the, on uh, Hitler, because he was such a type of Antichrist. I mean, in so many ways that we don't have time to get into right now. But to everyone watching, he looked to be a valiant young leader with Germany's best in mind. I mean, if you were in Germany in that hour and you didn't know all the details, you would have thought, this guy is going to help Germany be awesome. The thought process would have been, this guy is like fighting for our cause. He's, he's a good dude. He, he had been known to preach and quote some Martin Luther sermons. That's intense. It's like he, he carried himself with a form of godliness, if you will, but denied the power. His fruit was awful, but man, did he put on a pretty face. And he was carrying himself in such a way that people were buying into the rhetoric. But under the surface, he was a cruel man desiring to gain resources, political standing by deception, by intrigue. Again, only after the war, after it was far too late, was it apparent what he had been doing the whole time and who he was. That's part of the reason that the church so desperately needs discernment. Let me tell you one of the reasons I am so incredibly thankful for a house of prayer that goes 20 hours a day. We come in this room and we say, Lord, we love you. Teach us your will. We pray the t-shirt. Dwell, behold, inquire. You guys seen the t-shirts out in the lobby? We want to dwell in the house of the Lord. We don't want to be a people that comes in and comes out ever so, every so often. We want to be a people that dwell in the house of God. And as a result of that, were those that get to gaze on him, behold him, in more than a fleeting five-minute, 15-minute sort of a way. We're those that are gaining revelation of who he is and what he's like because the best way to, count, to uh, discern a counterfeit is to have stared at the original. To stare at the real deal, you will be able to identify the counterfeit. But you've got to have been spending a lot of time staring at the original, at the real deal, at the true. So then we inquire of the Lord. A house that gets to inquire of the Lord 20 hours a day, seven days a week, as a lifestyle. Not just a ministry, individuals, that we might be growing in discernment. What's the voice of the Lord? What isn't? What's true? What isn't? How do I know what my Bible is actually happening in 2020 on the news? How do I discern? How do I inquire? God, is this, what is this? What is that? We need to be a people of discernment. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. I want to tell you one of the things that is an absolute reality. The church that survives what's coming will be a praying church. And there will be no other version of Christianity because that other version won't survive. The only version that will dis be able to discern and survive what is coming is a praying people. And so Jesus was helping us understand, I don't want to like make it all about the end times, like get a prayer life so that you don't get deceived and die. But I'm promising you the only type of church that's going to survive what's coming is the house of prayer. And I don't mean the prayer room missions base. I mean the reality of the people of God together in the place of prayer as their rhythm. And that can look a lot of different ways. But prayer has got to be the priority, not something on the menu that's optional. And the church that lives that way is the church that's going to operate in power. The church is going to know what's going on. Is going to be able to fellowship with the Holy Spirit in the midst of extreme suffering. And that's what we're trying to do here. 
The Antichrist is given a crown. He's given that crown by two sources, by men and by God. He was given by men, Revelation 13, 3 through 4. The whole world was astonished, and they followed the beast. That's the Antichrist. And men worshiped the dragon. That's uh, Satan. Because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who is like this man? Who, where did he come from? How does he, who is like this in human history? Who is like this guy? And the answer is no one. Really? No one's been like this guy. Who can make war against him? And they're not saying it tongue in cheek. They're like, this guy is so strong, he's invincible, no one can defeat him. And if there wasn't a supernatural resurrected son of God coming from heaven with an army of resurrected saints behind him, when they say the question, who can declare war against him and win, they would be right in assuming there is no way to do that. No way can this man be overcome. His army's too big, his military prowess is too strong, his his everything, his demonic anointing resting on him is too heavy. There's nobody that can overcome him, and, and that's true, except Jesus. Remember, Christ and Antichrist. And really, this Antichrist, he's flexing his muscles as big as he can flex them, and Jesus comes and with no effort is able to completely annihilate the greatest strength of mankind in the history of humanity. You know what the Tower of Babel was all about? Unifying people under a demonic purpose. The Antichrist will actually fulfill the Tower of Babel reality. He will have unified the planet, every nation, tribe, and tongue, under a demonic purpose. Let's take out the King of Kings. Let's destroy him. And he he will be quite a military might. He's given this authority by men. Men will see him and they'll go, "I, I am just so in awe of him. Let's give him whatever he wants. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. <clears throat> so it become from men. But it also comes from God, this crown, this authority. I mean, really, that's kind of a no-brainer. Because how could something this big and important happen on God's planet without God? Oh my gosh, I can't believe there's an Antichrist. Did, angels, living creatures, did you know about this? Yeah, actually, we just released him. Uh, seal one, but it was your son. I mean, he, he opened the seal and we just said, okay, and said, calm. And, yeah, we knew about it. Sorry, father, we forgot to tell you. <clears throat> God knows, I promise. Revelation seven thirteen. he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. God created everything, including the concept of power. No power is given lest God be behind it. We may not particularly like that in the way that it fleshes out, but that is reality. The Antichrist comes conquering and bent on conquest. Never satisfied. Insatiable. You just took over 50 countries yesterday. It's not enough. Let's go for 60 tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Insatiable. He is a conqueror. Bent on conquest. Think about God is love bent on love. He's never done with love. He always wants more. So much so he made the greatest commandment. I just want you to love me. I want you to love me with all. I'm not even satisfied with most of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want it all. Yeah, but that little area right there, I want that area. I want that. 
Insatiable. The character of God is love. The character of the Antichrist, conqueror. Subjugator. Enslaver. This is who this man is, and he is insatiable. He is always after more. And he'll, he'll get it, which is kind of scary. He has a reign of terror on the earth that lasts three and a half years, and it will be really intense. Really intense. Partnership with Satan. This is uh, Revelation 13, 4. Men worship the dragon because he given authority to the beast. And they also worship the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? This beast, the Antichrist, he will experience a level of anointing that no one has ever experienced before in human, human history. He will experience a level of anointing and rulership and authority that comes straight from Satan. You guys remember when Jesus was taken into uh, the wilderness to be tempted? You remember when he was taken up on, on the high place and Satan said, look out over everything, I'll give this to you? He makes the offer one more time. And this guy takes him up on it. Jesus said no, he's the Christ. The Antichrist says yes, he's the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be endowed with the power that Jesus said, I don't want that from you, Satan. I do not want that. Antichrist will say, sign me up, I'll take it. You got a double portion? Give it to me. And he will be in complete compliance with Satan. He is the servant of Satan. So whatever it is that we see in him, he is not acting on his own. He's acting at the will of Satan. And this, is, this man is intense. In partnership with, with, with Satan, he will have the authority and the power of Satan. That is crazy thinking. He's a human. Like Jesus has the authority and the power of the Father. That's crazy. A man. A human man. This tall Jewish. He eats fish. He's got the full power of God. He is God. He, but he's a man. But he's got the... He's, what? The incarnation. The Antichrist is if you will, the incarnation of Satan. He is operating in the full authority in the throne of Satan. It's so intense. The false prophet rides on a fiery red horse. This fiery red, it's the color of war. It's well known in the, in the word, in life. I mean, you know, if you were talking about what, what colors are in the, in the negative context, you know, red would be love, but it'd also be blood. Well, this one, this rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make men slay each other. He was given a large sword and he comes out on a fiery red horse. He is making war. He's declaring war all over the earth on behalf of the Antichrist. Just to give you a kind of a flip side of this war. So the, the false prophet and the Antichrist, again, the, the false prophet doesn't get to do anything that he just wants to do. He's acting on behalf of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is acting on behalf of Satan. All right? So there's this, there's this death trinity, okay, of these three guys working together. All right? Well, the Antichrist has got this war that he's launching against the earth through the false prophet. The false prophet's the main guy running the show. Okay? Let me now tell you the other side of this war. All right? Because it goes bad for a minute. I mean, three and a half years is a long minute, and it's bad. And this, this false prophet, 
He's on a red horse. He's declaring war. War is, is taking over the planet in a way that it never has before. But now let me tell you who else is associated with red. Isaiah 63, 1 through 3. Who is this coming? With his garments stained crimson, striding forward in the greatness of his strength, it is I proclaiming victory mighty to save. Why are your garments red? I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger. I trod them down in my wrath. Their blood splattered my garments. And I stained all my clothing. So yes, the Antichrist and the false prophet are declaring war. But Jesus is declaring war back. And Jesus gets the final word. And while the... the the uh, false prophet is riding forth on this red horse, this pomp of certain victory. He gets wound up tread on in the wine press, and some of his blood gets splattered up on Jesus. And Jesus is bragging about it here in Isaiah 63. He said, oh yeah, I squished that guy like a grape. And I got some of him on me. See that down there? That's some of him. This is intense. So whenever we read about the Antichrist and the false prophet and the intensity of it, let's also make sure we know the other side of the story, okay? And who it is that wins this thing. There will be unprecedented bloodshed from war. The, the world has not seen anything like this before. There will be unprecedented bloodshed. The human population every year as time goes on, keeps eclipsing any year prior and is now the, the, the greatest population that's ever been in the history of man. Ten years, it'll just be even greater. Ten years later, it'll be greater. You're talking about the highest population of human history experiencing the greatest measure of war, which will infiltrate every single nation on the planet. There will be war everywhere. There will be such a death toll. So yes, the Antichrist or rather the false prophet, who's in charge of the war. Yeah, he wear, he's riding a red horse. But he's given power to take peace from the earth. We've got to kind of try to imagine this for a minute, because we can't. To see peace taken from the whole earth. World War II was horrific. But... Peace was not taken from the whole earth. I mean, it was taken from parts. And even some of the nations where peace was taken, there were still places in that nation that were peaceful. That is not this. This is going to be so intrusive and so governmentally um, uh, driven. This is the mark of the beast system that will infiltrate every city, nation, tribe, tongue, language, it will, it will be, the tentacles will be everywhere enforced by war. Enforced by penalty of death if you don't worship the, the Antichrist and take the mark of the beast. You're talking about peace being taken from the earth. Never happened before. Never happened before. That's intense. This will be the case in America. America is part of the earth. Unless we relocate America to the moon. We will be here, and peace will be taken from the earth, including America. 
we got to process that. We think so often America is exempt. And for a season, the Lord has allowed a measure of favor on America that's pretty unprecedented. But we do not escape Bible prophecy. And the Word of God says the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be anointed to take peace from the earth. And every tribe, language, nation, and tongue is going to wind up in the system of the Antichrist. It doesn't mean every person. That's actually why there's so much bloodshed. There wouldn't be any bloodshed if everybody just said, yes, sir. Bloodshed is proof of resistance. War is proof of resistance. And even those that lose, in the natural, they lose the war. That doesn't mean that they just all just worship the Antichrist. There'll be some hiding away in different places. There'll be all sorts of pockets and groups. False prophet is given a large sword. This is the sword to make war. It's also the sword to silence opposition. The sword that, the, that this uh, false prophet is given in order to execute the governmental uh, uh, bidding of the Antichrist. <coughs> he's going to make war. He's going to go to nations and he's going to say, listen, nation, either bow down. Let's institute the Mark of the Beast system. We're going to take over all your banking systems. We're going to take over your government. We're going to take over this, this, and this. Either say yes right now, or all the troops at your border are going to march over. Ready? You ready? Go. And then the troops will come in, and they'll, they'll make war, and they'll take over the country. That'll happen. Second, to silence opposition. Just imagine any country with people that don't like being taken over. Who likes being taken over in the history of anybody, ever? These places that are being taken over, there's still lots of people there that don't like the fact that they were just taken over yesterday. Lots of them. And they're going to be causing mischief and problems. Setting off bottle rockets and stuff. Plus. I mean, there are going to be military groups, militias, and there's going to be opposition everywhere. And the, the, uh, the false prophet also has this large sword in order to squall the rebellions that are rising up in the various places localized troops taking over the police force in order to have the police uh, 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 execute the, <clears throat> the game plan of the Antichrist government and regime. He's not going to just make war. He's also going to keep the peace, if you will, not letting the resistors and all those that are having a problem with this new form of government be able to take back areas and that kind of thing. He is going to have a big sword. It's going to cause some serious problems. I'm going to read you this last uh, passage here out of uh, Jeremiah 6. And you've heard me say this before, but it's so fascinating how little new content is in Revelation. How little, how little new content is in the book of Revelation. It is almost all found in the Old Testament. Little whispers, little here and there, this passage, this passage, this phrase, this phrase. But John gets to put it all together in clarity. Now, John's level of clarity is unprecedented. But as far as the amount of content, there's not that much new in Revelation. We just don't know the Old Testament. Well, here is Jeremiah 6. This is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. A nation is being stirred from the ends of the earth, this is describing the global uh, empire of the Antichrist. It's a global reality. They are armed with bow and spear, 
and they are cruel, and they show no mercy. The sound is like the roaring sea as they ride on their horses. They come like men in battle formation to attack you, O daughter of Zion. We have heard reports about them, and our hands hang limp. Anguish has gripped us, pain like that of a woman in labor. Do not go to the fields or walk in the roads, for the enemy has a sword, and there is terror on every side. Doesn't that sound like take peace from the earth? Terror on every side? See, this language, it's, it's Old Testament. The prophets were seeing little glimpses. John saw the greatest revelation, but he didn't get that much new content. He just got clarity on old content and put Bible verses together and saw things and went, oh, that's what Jeremiah was talking about. He was able to kind of see, I mean, just imagine, John must have been brain mush for weeks after this moment. I mean, I don't know how you just like, just all of it, all information all at once. All right, let's do this. Let's break up into groups. All right. Well, we'll go into our time of Q&A now. Let me try to get your attention. All right, Q&A time. And what we're going to do during this time is uh, I'll repeat the questions uh, so that those that are watching on Facebook Live or that listen to the recording later can hear your question. And uh, that way we can all have peace before it gets taken from the earth. Okay, so uh, Chris, why don't we start with you guys? So uh, seal two, um, I talked about as the false prophet. How do I come to that conclusion? The um, it makes it really clear that there's a rider on this horse, uh, just like the first rider, uh, the rider on horse on seal one horse, the rider on seal two horse. Um, the the character and nature of what this rider is accomplishing is the exact mission that we see that the false prophet accomplishes. And most clearly we can see it in Revelation chapter 13. When you see the assignment of the false prophet in Revelation uh, 13, uh, what, what's happening with this man, what he's doing, how he's serving the first guy, what he's accomplishing, he's actually taking peace from the earth. And I, I think that the, uh, the language uh, the combined language of what we see the false prophet establishing a global uh, system that forces everyone to worship the Antichrist or be killed. That is the, uh, that is the system that actualizes taking peace from the earth. And so, um, so we, we see here, you know, what, what this second um, uh, seal does uh, the second writer, uh, he comes, you know, he's, he's making war. He was given a sword. So now we know that whatever, whoever this person is, whatever he is, his role is to take peace from the earth. His role is to declare war. His role, you just start going down the list of roles and uh, the job description is exactly what we see the, uh, the um, false prophet doing in Revelation 13 and elsewhere. But Revelation 13 is the primary false prophet passage uh, that we have in the scripture. So, a uh, great question. Great question. Um, now, let's go to this group. Okay. <clears throat> so, the Antichrist is given a crown. Where did that crown come from? Who gives it to him? Um, in the notes, uh, I said from men, evil men. 
and just the world at large. Second, uh, that I didn't talk about is from Satan, because we see clearly in Revelation 13 that Satan is also giving uh, the Antichrist this authority. But then what about this thing about God being involved in the process? How is it that God is giving him a, a crown? There are actually specific verses, and Caitlin, I'd love it if you would quote that verse again uh, that I overheard you uh, uh, say earlier. But, uh, but there, there are uh, plenty of scriptures that actually say it overtly, but, and we'll read one of them here in a minute. But let me just tell you, it is God's pattern to raise up a nation more wicked than the nation he wants to judge and to use that more wicked nation to judge the nation that he wants to judge. And then after he's done that, then he really judges the nation that he raised up to judge the nation that he wants to judge. And so he judges everybody. Now, with that, I, I just want to say, say, you know, kindly, um, we are not a righteous people. Our nation is due judgment for what we have done. And we, we might try to compare ourselves with the guys next door. God doesn't do it that way. God fa- actually... We carry a greater responsibility in America because of our foundations than a lot of the other nations that might not be on the surface being doing this or doing that. Uh, we as a nation deserve great judgment. Not us as individuals that love Jesus. We love Jesus. But as a nation, what our nation stands for, we are deserving anything that would come and worse. And, and so we have such a, uh, it's such a pompous thought process about who we are and what America is and how much God loves America and God bless America is everywhere so therefore God must bless America and God God clearly God's an American I mean right I mean he's he's got a flag right I mean in the throne room there's a 50 stars and you know 13 stripes um so we have such a wrong perspective we we think so much as Americans and so secondarily as members of the kingdom that have to abide by kingdom rules and policies. We think so much about what we've experienced and what we think is right and so little about what the Bible says and about the history of Israel of which the people of God are part of that storyline in in this modern day. And so when we see when Israel was not walking according to the purposes of God, God would raise up Nebuchadnezzar, demon-worshiping king. And God said multiple times, I'm raising up this king. Don't blame somebody. It's me. And he's going to come in and he's going to kill all of your people. And then he's going to take the ones that he doesn't kill and he's going to deport them hundreds of miles away and put them in, in a place they don't know and enslave them. And this is what God does to wake up his people. I'll just say it this way. It would actually be kind, in, in my opinion, as I'm assessing these things, it would be kind if we actually got a dress rehearsal before the Antichrist in America. That would be kind. Because what's coming is going to be the absolute worst thing ever. And it's going to be judgment on America. Just like it's going to be judgment on pick a nation. When God thinks about the world, we think about nations with territorial boundaries. God thinks less about that and thinks more about people in rebellion against him. And yeah, they happen to live in that city that's part of this country and part of the, but, but I mean, God's thinking about people, the human heart, the condition of the soul, and, and we are due judgment. And so it would actually be kind if, if America would experience 
great difficulty before this because great difficulty, Isaiah 26, verse 9, when the judgments of God are in the land, the people of the world learn righteousness. It would actually be kind if America would go through significant difficulty before all this in order to wake up everybody. And God uses judgment to wake up his people, to wake up lost people, to wake up nations, to wake up governments when they don't respond to his kindness. He loves showing kindness first, and he's long-suffering. I mean, he is so patient, but patient doesn't mean he never answers what he has written in his Bible. And so for God to be a God of justice, he needs to raise up an antichrist to deal with this planet. Uh, read that verse. and uh, Read it phrase by phrase so I can repeat it. Zechariah 11, 16, and 17. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd. Who does not care for those who are being destroyed. Or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy. But devours the flesh of the fat ones. Tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts his flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be wholly withered. His right eye utterly blinded. So here's an example of God raising up a shepherd in this scenario. That God's the one raising him up, but he's mistreating the sheep. He's mistreating the ones that he's leading. And God's saying, I'm going to get you too. So don't, I'm raising you up, but I, I'm not going to let you just continue on in your way and think that everything's going to be all right because it's not going to be. So, uh, you know, I just, I, I just want to say this kindly. We have got to let what we want and think die. It doesn't matter. It's not like because we think it, it changes the Bible. We have to let our opinions die. When we read a Bible verse, we can't dismiss it. We read a Bible verse, we have to now adapt our theology. It, it, is, it is not prudent. It is irresponsible to read Bible verses that contradict what we think and to ignore them and say, yeah, but that's not how I was raised. Yeah, but that's not what I think. Yeah, but I don't really like that. None of that matters. That's, I, I'm not being mean here. I'm trying to be a shepherd. Like, that's irresponsible. That's irresponsible. And we can't do that. So when we read verses that say things that are different than what we think or what we were taught or what we believe or what we want, we have to rectify what that verse says in our theology. If our theology can't answer that verse, our theology is wrong or at least incomplete. We have got to look at the word and go, yuck. <laughs> okay, help me with that one, Lord, because I, my theology walking into the meeting didn't really allow for that verse. <laughs> But that's in your Bible, so I guess let's talk and figure it out. All right, uh, let's do this group over here, John. Yeah, okay. How will the Antichrist build his army? This one's a layered one. I'm just going to kind of touch on a couple of points. And we'll get more to this when we get to Revelation 13. We'll, we'll cover some of these dynamics and then even Revelation 17, which covers a, a little bit more. We're actually given a lot of insights into the answer to that question. A lot of insights. Um, 
One thing we know is he's going to start off with a 10-nation coalition that have pledged complete loyalty to him uh, from the beginning. And they're actually going to like him or, or at least be in, in full agreement with him in full union. And that group of 10 nations, 10 nations, who out there has got 10 nations? I mean, UK just left yesterday. I mean, it's like, like who out there has 10 nations in there like, hey, you guys will all do what I want you to do, right? Yes, sir, we will. For him to start off with 10 nations, which it's, that's from a couple of different passages, Revelation chapter 17, it's also in Daniel. We see that in other places. He's going to have a 10-nation coalition from the beginning, and they're going to pledge allegiance to him in a very uh, clear way. And I would just guess, and, and this is a guess, but it's, a, it's an educated guess based off of all this. He'll lead by intrigue. The world's going to go, where did this guy come from? I think he is going to be negotiating with those 10 nations behind the scenes <clears throat> for some time coming, coming up. I, I'm, I'm making this next part up, but we'll just see how close I am. <clears throat> the Bible says he is going to die or at least look like he's died and raised from the dead. What a great way to get a following if you know your Bible ahead of time. Hey, 10 nations, one king at a time. Listen, in uh, exactly however many months or years or whatever, in exactly, I'm going to be assassinated, but don't worry, I'm going to rise from the dead. And when I rise from the dead, I'm going to have complete power, and I'm going to take over the world. Oh, yeah, actually, if you want to know who I am, I'm this guy in the Bible. Now, do you want to be on my team, or do you want to be on the other side? You could be one of these 10 nations if you want to be. I just think he's going to be having conversations that is going to wind up luring people in to his narrative. Now, it's going to have his twist, his bend, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's one way. Second way he's going to be raising up his army is once he's got those 10 nations, when 10 nations come knocking on the door of one nation, that one nation, uh, many of them will just fall in line quietly. There, there will actually be physical armies just like there are now. When, if, uh, if one king were in charge of 10 nations right now, he would be in charge of 10 national armies and national navies and national this is and national that's and coordinating those efforts. Hey, nation one, you strike here. Nation two, you bring your air force in from this angle. I mean, brilliant military strategist. <clears throat> so his ability to add to his number once he's got those 10 is going to be painfully swift. Boom, 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 boom. And everybody's going to be trying to figure out how it will be too late before a a unified coalition of nations against him is formed. It'll be too late. He will have moved too quickly, too fast. People will be taken out. This nation, this nation over here cowering in fear. We don't want to stay in the fight. We don't, you know, we, we want to, you know, be out of the fight. We don't want to be in the middle of all that. And they're going to find themselves in the middle of all that because then pretty soon all the nations around them are bowing to the Antichrist. And so when you read the language related to the Antichrist's governmental Influence is the wrong word. That's another department. Governmental authority, governmental dictatorship, ownership. You read about it in Revelation 13 and elsewhere. It is astounding what is going to happen on a global scene. We are going to see for the first time a global empire with one dude leading it. Global. I mean, it's, that, that Antichrist spirit has been in men for centuries. The Ottoman Empire, Alexander the Great. I mean, there, there have been guys, Hitler for sure, that have had that Antichrist spirit of, I want to take over the planet for real. I want to take over the planet. He will actually do it. Governmentally, one nation at a time. 
Now, again, that doesn't mean everybody in that nation that just got taken over where the king hands the keys over to the Antichrist and says, okay, you can call the shots here. That doesn't mean everybody in that nation likes that idea and is going to lay down. They will not. There will be groups, I'll tell you, there's going to be some Texans fighting. <clears throat> and so that, that will not go over the way that it just sounds like he's going to take over everything. He'll take over governments. Governments have the most single influence in an entity, but that doesn't mean that 100% of the human race is just going to say, yes, sir. All right, uh, let's do this group over here, Luke. Okay, so um, Antichrist, false prophet, leading the millennial stars, are they distinct groups? Like, are they going to be themselves traveling around the world and doing these things, or are they going to be focused on a specific area? Uh, so the question is specifically with the man, the Antichrist, and the man, the false prophet, will they be traveling around the world? Um, uh, establishing government, etc. Um, to some degree, probably, but technology is going to do us a solid here in just a minute and be a f even far more developed than it is now. Uh, even the, the ways of travel will increase. Uh, I mean, they're opening up right now in Dallas. They're working on uh, a new system of helipads uh, where people wealthy enough can travel from Frisco to Dallas on helicopters. Uh, back and forth as a commercial form of transportation and so I mean it's like well that's crazy and that's in our city you know so there's only transportation is only going to get crazier which is actually a Daniel prophecy uh, as well as information technology that's another Daniel prophecy so those things are going to play into that significantly but the Antichrist and the false prophet are not going to be the only two guys in government Hitler had a lot of number uh, you know one two three generals around him that were acting on his behalf and accomplishing his stuff and so there'll be a lot that can be done uh, from Jerusalem, which is actually going to be the headquarters of the Antichrist government. The Antichrist is going to say, I'm not just the best leader ever. I'm God. Worship me. By the way, I'm setting up my, myself in the one temple in Jerusalem that hasn't been built yet, but it will be. God, uh, the Antichrist is going to set himself up in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is going to become his headquarters, his Washington, D.C. for the planet. And so I don't imagine he's going to leave there a whole lot. He'll leave sometimes, I guess. I, it, we don't really know on that one that I can think of. Uh, but I don't see anything that prohibits him from travel except for the fact that he's primarily based in Jerusalem and he'll have everything set up there to be able to broadcast to the earth and get the stuff done that he needs to. So um, great question. And finally, back there. Yeah. All right, so uh, so the Antichrist, where does he come from? What's his religious background? Muslim, Christian, uh, Jewish. Um, I, I feel strongly, and, and this is my opinion, and so I just want to say that real clearly. Uh, I feel strongly, and I don't have the time to present all the why, this, and this, maybe some other time. Um, I feel strongly that he will be Jewish by blood, Muslim by religion, and a homosexual. And that he is going to have a significant um, uh, leadership role and potential from both Europe and the Middle East. He, he will have, you know, maybe it's like mom was a European and dad was a Muslim from, uh, from the Arabic-speaking world. Something like that. He, he'll have significant ties to both the Middle East and also to Europe. Um, and uh, he'll have significant ties to Islam. He'll have significant ties uh, to, uh, to uh, Judaism. He'll know his Bible. He will, this, he will not be ineffective 
in being the greatest deceiver of the church in the history of the world. And so uh, there, there's just a lot to be said about all that. Again, that's uh, the, the bottom line statements are, are my opinion. Uh, the, the backup statements are provable. Um, but my conclusion on those statements is, is, is my opinion. So great question. Lord, help us all. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.